Okay, as, as we all know, this is uh, New Year's Day, and uh, I have a New Year's message for us, and I know that you probably have mixed emotions as you approach the new year in, in various ways and aspects, and I have a number of questions for you to ponder <clears throat> in, throughout the message. In fact, the message title is a question. And that is, how shall we do? Now, who, who wants to tell me who asked that question? How shall we do? Does anybody know who asked that question? It's from the Bible. Can we give you another hint? It's from the Old Testament. Pardon? No. It was Elijah's servant. No, I'm sorry, Elisha's servant. When the city was surrounded with horses and chariots to, to get Elisha. And the servant asked that question when he saw the city was surrounded and in his opinion they were up against it. They, they, I mean, they, they were. Well, here. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And so we might be asking that question as we come into the new year. You know, how shall we do since everything is the way it is? You know, we know about last year and its struggles. We know the temptations and we know the trials that we faced and the misunderstandings and the victories and the joy and the spiritual growth. And so as we look forward to the new year, there's a lot of unknowns. But as we look back at the past year, could you have done some things different? Could we have had less trials and struggles if we would have been more spiritual? If we would have spent more time in Bible reading and prayer? Should we have spent more time in helping others? How many of our problems that we're going to carry into next year wouldn't be necessary? So how shall we do? Was 2022 a good year? We could have mixed answers on that. What kind of a grade would you give it? Will 23 be a better year? Did you get all the problems solved in last year that you faced? And I think a lot of us could answer that as well. And will you carry some of those same problems into 2023? And if so, why? Why? 
Could some of the problems be solved and left in 22 if you would have been willing to go the second mile and do more than is expected or required? These are questions for you to ponder and for me. As you work through your problems, where did you get the most support? Did you get it from your family? Did you get it from the church? Or did you get it from your Father in heaven? How many missionaries did you have time to pray for? On another aspect, did it take most of the year to meet your own financial needs and obligations so you couldn't give much in time or money? How many of the trials that you faced were brought on by your lack of commitment and poor judgment? You know, I, I've reflected on that in my own life. And I can assure you, I've had an adequate amount of poor judgment and commitment at times. Did you ever really consider, does it make a difference when you pray? Does it? You just think about that as, as we go into the new year. How many trials did you face in the past year that you had absolutely no control over? How does God view your record of the past year? That's a good question to ponder. Would you be willing to do your part in making 23 a better year? Consider this. Now, what are you going to do if 23 is worse than 22? And so his prophet, his servant, raised the question, how shall we do? Uh, maybe we should just read that passage. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6. I'll read verses 8 to 18. This, this account involves Elisha and his servant, primarily Elisha, but the question that I'm asking came from the servant. Verse 8, then the king of Syria warred against Israel, took counsel with his servants, saying, in such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, beware what? You pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place where the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved him there, not once nor twice. 
Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants, and he said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dotham. Therefore send he thither horses. Therefore sent he thither horses, chariots, a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, the host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they be with them. You know, the prophet uh, Elisha faced other circumstances like this. You know, as I said, the servant thought there was no way out. Okay, there was just two of them in the city that, well, there was others in the city, but the two, or the one actually, is what the army was after. And, you know, he, he went out in the morning and just saw the city was completely circled with horses and chariots. And I'm assuming Elijah never even had, Elisha never even had a chariot, not even one. So what chance did he stand? <coughs> if you remember the account of Naaman and his leprosy, it said that Naaman was a man, a mighty man of valor. He was great. He was a valiant soldier. But he had leprosy that there was no cure for. The widow came to Elisha and said, Listen, uh, my husband has died. I got this great debt I can't pay. In fact, my creditor is so mean, he's going to take my two sons for slaves. No solution. Another time when Elisha was present, he was asked the question, there's a hundred men here that we need to feed, and there's only a few loaves of bread, not much we have to hear. And these are all situations where we could raise the question, how shall we do? And we might have that same situation in our lives at times. How shall we do? You know what it says in Jeremiah 32, 7? 
I'm sorry, Jeremiah 32.7, it says, talking about the God of heaven, he's the God of all flesh, is there anything too hard for me? That's where we need to end up. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. As we know the account, Naaman was miraculously healed after his servants convinced him not to be stubborn, to follow the advice of the prophet. The widow was able to fill all those jars with oil and to sell them and to pay her debt. And as the prophet Elijah said, the hundred men will be fed and there's going to be leftovers. And I think that's interesting. Jesus did the same thing in the New Testament. There were leftovers, even though it appeared to be impossible. On that phrase, for there be more with us than there are with them, did you ever think about it, if not in all the situations in life that we face, there are fewer in number, let me back up, in most, if not all the situations of life, those that be against us are fewer in number than those that be for us. I think statistically that is true. But we focus on maybe that one or two that we think that are against us. But God is always for us. Now let's turn to John chapter 14 in the New Testament. John chapter 14. God spoke to the, I'm sorry, Elisha opened the eyes of his servant and he saw that there were chariots of fire that was much greater than the chariots and horses that were surrounded them. The power that was available was to protect them was in no comparison to the appearance of the oppression. And these familiar verses here in John 14, and as we approach the uncertainty of 23, it just seems like it's so appropriate to reflect on Jesus' promise here. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And you know, I used to read that verse some many years ago, and I just thought, you know, and it was used in funerals and to give hope to the family and peace. And, and it was, it, I, I took it in the context that you could just sit back and relax and let God pour that blessing down over you. But did you notice what it says? It says, let not your heart be troubled. You have a part to play in that as well. We, we have a part to play. Our trust, our faith in God comes into play. And our belief 
And Jesus goes on to say, In my Father's house there's many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. And you know, that should encourage us. When we think about the war in Ukraine, we think about the world situation is deteriorating rapidly. Inflation is increasing. But there's a place prepared in heaven for the faithful. And we can claim that promise. It says, And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. And Thomas said unto him, We know not whether thou goest, how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So that's why it's so important for us to read the Bible every day. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it doesn't matter what happens around us. To discourage us or to get us sidetracked, if we read God's word every day, we concentrate on the way, the truth, and the life. And he's saying, I will take care of you. I read this quote somewhere. It says, we serve God better when we, do not, when we don't wait for 100% certainty. And I think that's true, and that's all about faith. You know, if, if we knew, we, we can't wait till we know the whole plan before we proceed. That's all about God and faith and trust. So when we raise the question, how shall we do? Well, God has the answer for us. And let's go further on in this chapter, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. <clears throat> There's no uncertainty in that, is it? What's uncertain about keeping His commandments? And if we keep His commandments, and of course the two greatest are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We know that. And if we do that, that just builds within us a tremendous power and confidence for the future that God will take care of us. And he goes on to say, I will pray the Father that he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. We, can, we should rejoice that we have the Holy Spirit that is comforting us. And we need that comfort in the times in which we live. And, we need, and far greater than the comfort is also the direction, or maybe I shouldn't say greater, but the, the direction that we need and he reiterates that in verse 18 of John 14 I will not leave you comfortless I will come to you and so there's no gap between the Holy Spirit's comfort and Jesus returning for his own there is no gap and that should comfort us
in verse 26. It says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, and whatsoever I have said unto you. And I know Jesus was directing this to his disciples at the time, but it's also for us today. And we should claim that when the future is so fragile and so unknown. Did you catch it? He says that he, he shall teach you. See, we don't need to know what 23 is going to bring forth. We don't even know what the rest of today is going to bring forth, do we? But we, we trust Him. And that His Holy Spirit will teach us. You know, I heard a preacher say many years ago that the Holy Spirit is maybe a crude illustration, but it's kind of like the headlights on your car. You know, does the headlights on my car, if I come to church tonight, will the headlights on my car shine to Harrisonburg while I'm sitting here? No. But they shine on my journey to Harrisonburg, and I've got light the whole way. I mean, that, that, that's simple, but that's, that's in reality the way we need to live. And God will bless that kind of faith and that trust. And I firmly believe that God will, will work in surprises, maybe little rewards to encourage us and to bless us. And I've experienced this over and over again, how God at the, just at the right second or at the right time brings something to pass in, in my daily experience that, that's truly direction from Him. I read in the Stillwater devotional recently, it asked this question, what are you waiting for? And I want you to entertain that question as we go into the new year. And it's, it was in the context of on a church sign at Easter, Jesus rose from the dead. And... <clears throat> Also, I would add to that, we just came through the Christmas season where the Son of God, we celebrate Jesus coming from heaven to earth. And so Jesus came and He showed us the way. He gave us His life. He rose from the dead. And so what excuses are we well, let, let, let me just ask you some questions. <clears throat> what excuses, maybe I could say it this way, are we using not to be fully surrendered to serving the Lord? What excuses are we using? Are we waiting for today, which is New Year's Day? And so a, a New Year's solution will deliver us from maybe a habit that we don't like? Are we hoping that New Year's solution will deliver us? Are you waiting for the question, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for some making more money so that 
you'll be able to help a struggling family? Are you waiting to confess a certain sin because it's just a little bit too bashful? It's just too personal. Are you waiting to be reconciled for a brother or sister in the church because you know there's something between you all, but you're waiting and you're hoping they make the first move? You know, excuses are, are plentiful. One, one time when my wife and I lived in West Virginia in the 70s, we was driving down the road in our community, and we saw a man's uh, cornfield, and there were horses running up and down through his cornfield. So we stopped, and I went to the house, and I said, Do you know that your horses are out here in your cornfield? He said, yes, I know that. But he said, I can't find my key to the tractor to fix the fence. So we said, okay. We left him. And you know, I believe God views some of our excuses the same way. We say, how ridiculous. Is there something in your family member that you need to clear up with? Just think about these questions as we enter the new year. Do you have complete peace with God and your fellow man? Are you totally convinced that your name is written in the book of life? What are you waiting for? I read this quote, procrastination is a close relative to unbelief. We, we don't like that, that, that sound of that. That don't sound very good, does it? No, no, we, we wouldn't get into unbelief, but how about procrastination? What are you waiting for? So in closing, I would like to read a poem from Francis Harvergale. Another year is dawning. Another year is dawning. Dear Father, let it be. In working or in waiting, another year with Thee. Another year of progress, another year of praise. Another year of proving Thy presence all the days. Another year of mercies, of faithfulness and grace. Another year of gladness, the glory of thy face. Another year of learning, I'm sorry, another year of leaning upon thy loving breast. Another year of trusting, of quiet, happy rest. Another year of service, of witness for thy love. Another year of training for holier work above. Another year is dawning, dear Father, let it be. On earth or else in heaven, another year for thee. Shall we sing?